This presentation was recorded at the Western Fellowship Teachers Institute. For more information about the Institute, call 541-999-7467 or email jolasmucker at gmail.com. That's J-O-L-A-S-M-U-C-K-E-R at gmail.com. Flop was missing. Um, so after feeling rejected um, and attacked, he went out to the line of cars in the parking lot and was kind of there nursing his wounds. And a, a, a girl who was about four years older than he, you get into social dynamics, he's about 13, 14, she's about 18, 20, whatever, came out, took a good long look and said this, have you weighed lately? Um, that is the story that he used to start a book that he later wrote about weight loss. That was an experience that empowered him. And the title of the book was, Have You Weighed Lately? But it was through rejection that he was empowered. Um, I think it's an example of acceptance or rejection being a very slippery subject. As I prepared for this topic, I began to become very keenly aware that there's two miles of ditch for every one mile road, and that road top has a lot of potholes. So I am not really intending to dodge all the potholes. I, many of the things I could say, you could say yes, but, and I'm not going to try to give all the qualifiers or the exceptions. Um, again, just to illustrate that this thing of acceptance is a slippery subject, Henry Ford once said, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, can't you're right. Whether you think you can, whether you think you can't, you're right. And I would modify that just a little bit to say whether you think you're accepted or whether you think you're not accepted, you're right. Now, in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask for a response for, from you in that uh, in relation to this question, what are our goals for our children, for our students regarding acceptance? What should some of our goals be? It seems to me like we need to have at least some goals so we know where we're headed. Okay, and I, I, if you can have a response on that, that would be appreciated. First of all, what are we talking about when we talk about acceptance? Well, I think that means feeling included, feeling approved, feeling accepted. How many of you enjoy that feeling? I'm sure all your hands would go up, right? Of course, it's a very human need in our lives to feel accepted and to feel included. How many of you enjoy empowerment? What are we talking about when we talk about empowerment? Well, that, that feeling that you're enabled. And through acceptance comes empowerment. We know that. Now, how many times have you gotten into trouble pursuing acceptance? Think, think. How many times have you seen your students get into trouble or your children get into trouble pursuing acceptance? It happens. Have you ever said about someone, he's not at home in his own skin? He's doing that to be accepted. If she'd only quit worrying about something that relates to this acceptance issue. We want to go through life satisfied. I want my children as a father. I want my children as a teacher to go through life satisfied. I want to give them the framework to go through life satisfied. How do we actually do that is the address of this topic. 
I just recently heard of a 94-year-old woman who cried about an issue in her childhood. And the issue was simply this. Um, her mother died, and all the children got placed in other homes, and the family would never live together as a unit again. And that left a, a disposition that I don't think any of us can really fully relate to unless that happened to us. But at 94 years old, she learned that her father, who had long been gone, it was he agonized over that decision, and he did not want to do that. And that touched her in a way that at 94 years old she cried. Acceptance, rejection. Rejection has been called one of the most powerful human experiences or emotions. I think we understand that. I don't know where all to go with this topic exactly. Acceptance that empowers. I think there is a type of acceptance that enslaves that we can work for. As a little boy, I remember one time hearings, overhearing someone say this, Johnny tries so hard to, and I won't say what, to be accepted, doing this to be accepted. And you know, it wasn't like it was a deep uh, psychological experience for me, but I did understand that I will be accepted if I don't go to that extreme to be accepted. And it was liberating. Here I was working for acceptance and, you know, wasn't even necessary. But another type of acceptance may be over-acceptance. Over-acceptance. Um, have you ever worked with a child who was over-mothered? That would be one uh, type of person who perhaps labors for over-acceptance. One of my favorite stories to, that uh, I think illustrates well-balanced parenting is there was a number of Mennonite women working together in the garden and a toddler, one of, the, one of the toddlers, was sitting there eating a worm. Now, I don't know what your response would be as a mother if you see your toddler eating a worm. But this one mother said, well, the mother whose daughter it was, she said, the poor worm. <laughs> I have my eye on that girl, and someday I wouldn't mind being her teacher. Um, her, her tender little psyche was taken care of. <laughs> right Now, on the other hand, there's nothing wrong with fussing over uh, the child eating an earthworm. I'm not trying to say that, but... Uh... Okay, so now your turn. What are our goals relating to children being accepted? Do you, what, what would you, how would you describe a well-balanced child? You see, I'm assuming that you know, and, I, and you're assuming that I know what is balanced, what is a psychological norm. I shouldn't have said that. Repeat, please. You want them to? All right. And? Well put, thank you. Aaron. The best way that I've found that to, to be accepted and to help is to help me and my students and myself help them accept others in whatever form they are. And to do that, the Bible says you will be accepted. It's, it's actually very good. Instead of trying to be yourself and say, this is something 
so, so we want our students and our children to accept others, and that is a biblical command about receiving one another. The Bible talks of that. Yes. Yes. That acceptance of their person is different than the acceptance of their skills. And we're not rejecting them when we give them a poor grade, per se, would be an outworking of that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Are there more? Right. Helping them remember that as individuals are valuable in God's sight. Yes. So to be able to accept others in spite of idiosyncrasies, warts and moles and other things that go along with people and the smell of sheep. Um, maybe to reiterate, and also this is what I had written down, not to be too worried or sensitive about acceptance. Um, I had a student who I, I didn't know what was wrong. Something was going wrong, and this developed over a period of about three weeks until I discovered through someone else, through her peer, that what is going wrong is she has a patch on her dress now. And I really think that was a sum total of it because I uh, wore some trousers to school that were also patched and waited for a day that we both had patches and then we talked about patches and then things got better. Right? I would say that's an example of being too worried about acceptance. Another one would be not experiencing rejection. We're talking about goals in relation to acceptance. Not, re not experiencing rejection from me as their mentor. That would be another goal. I remember when I was in school, the teacher uh, used this method to get better uh, are properly formed letters, this student's cursive B looked to, too much like a cursive K. And he had that student go up front, write a row of cursive Bs, and then he beat them down. And he said, this is a B, and this is a K, and you're writing Bs for Ks in front of the whole room. I don't want to do that. Another one to be, as was previously mentioned, not being inhibited from being the person God designed each individual to be. Um, I, want, I want my children at school, I want my biological children to be able to express themselves, to sing, to talk, to play, without being haunted by thoughts such as, what are people thinking of me? Am I okay? And being all twitchy. Right? Another one is not to make impossible situations for others. Um, this would be a goal, I think, that is noble and worthy. And some of these things are easier illustrated than stated, but a very poor question that is couched in acceptance that, not original with me, but do these genes make me look fat? Now, if you're 300 pounds and you're only five foot tall, there isn't anything you're going to wear that doesn't make you look fat, because you are fat, right? Um, but maybe a little more common than that question would be, I'm your best friend, right? Oh. 
there's an acceptance issue going on there. And I don't, that, that, that should be one of our goals, that our students can, cannot make impossible situations for others. Do you understand? Another one, closer related, to be sensitive enough to read cues from other people about what's acceptable behavior and what isn't. All right, let's move on. Now that we have some of these goals, how do we get it taught? That's a big question. How do we give acceptance that empowers in a balanced way? How do we communicate and teach acceptance that empowers? I have a few ideas, and I really believe, teachers, that it will likely be our lot this year to relate to some students who are doing poorly in this area. And we want to help them do better. And it may be our lot, too, to relate to some who are doing well in this area. But we want to help them to do better, too. We really do. And with that premise, we're going to give just a few uh, suggestions about how we can teach these things. The first one I would suggest is by listening to the Bible speak. By listening to the Bible speak. What I'm suggesting here is there are plenty of scriptures, and I'm only going to list a few that come to mind as relating to the issue of acceptance. Second Corinthians six seventeen and 18 says this, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch, not, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will, what? Receive you. And I will be a what? A father unto you. And you shall be my, saith the Lord Almighty. There's acceptance. There it is. God offers everybody acceptance. Praise the Lord. And wanting acceptance isn't a bad thing if we're wanting it from God. And if God is offering it, it can't be a bad thing. It's not. Maybe you've read the book, The Bishop's Shadow. The bishop's shadow was a little urchin orphan where the bishop, very important, austere man, asked the little fellow, and who is your father? And realized as soon as the words were out of his mouth that he had no father, he was an orphan. And he realized his mistake. The moment was awkward. And the bishop redeemed it this way. He said, ah, I see. God is your father. I can see his likeness in you. That's wonderful. It's not a wonder that that boy developed into the bishop's shadow. Hebrews 12, 5 and 8. You've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My sons, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord, he, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. There's more than one way to demonstrate acceptance. More than one way exists for showing acceptance. There's more than one way to empower chastisement, punishment. Another, another uh, set of verses, Psalm 139, 17-18. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Smile, God loves you. That's more than just a trite saying. It is the actual truth. And maybe we'll say more on that later. John 1, 10-12. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own... 
But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. There's many things we can glean from that verse. As Jesus' humanity was coming through. He wanted acceptance and he experienced rejection. And of all things, it says in those verses, the world was made by him. And it rejected him. Have you ever had that happen? Did you ever, were you ever the hand that got bitten that was feeding someone? That's what happened here. It just doesn't seem right. And it wasn't. There's more verses. If any is on the tip of your tongue, please share. I thought of more this morning. Now I can't think of them. Didn't have them in my notes. What we're talking about here is a task much larger than ourselves to communicate to a third grader who just got kicked or who got pushed out of the game that your acceptance is in Christ. That is a big task. But I don't mean to—I did not mean that in a demeaning way at all. All right, let's keep on going. How do we uh, teach uh, acceptance that empowers? By affirmation. We first of all talked about by listening to the Bible speak. Now by affirmation, don't be afraid to praise. I think we need to be careful about this praise will hurt your child thought. It's afloat. Um, If you want to read more about this subject, uh, read the book Whale Done, W-H-A-L-E, Whale Done by Ken Blanchard. How do you train a killer whale is the question of the book. I mean, after all, they have all these sharp teeth. And how do you get them performing? How do you get them jumping through hoops while you feed them dead fish out of a bucket? Right? In other words, you give them reward. We're not dealing with killer whales. We're dealing with something of the same species, and there's a whole lot more that we can do than the, you know, feeding them fish out of a bucket. Um, but acceptance, praise, affirmation, that does, uh, acceptance by praise and affirmation is what I mean to say. It does build us up in these things. Praise for valid things, of course. Things for which they really have done well. We shouldn't. Praise school-aged children for their beautiful blue eyes. After all, that's just the way they were made. Someone may hear that has ugly green eyes. Then what? Okay. But praise them instead for job well done, where they showed good initiative, good effort. There's no need or lasting merit in overpraising or over-rewarding good and consistent behaviors. Life isn't like that. I've never gotten a trip, free trip to Hawaii for being a good dad. Uh, you probably haven't either. Um, Just a simple well done. I learned this lesson perhaps about life not giving over praise and over rewards. I learned it at a young age, preschool in fact, when there was a large jar of marshmallow cream um, and my sister and I each had the opportunity of gaining controlling interest. Now we had to share it um, with the other. But the one who at the end of two-week period of filling in charts for prompt obedience, they got controlling interest. And I didn't get controlling interest of the jar of marshmallow cream. In other words, my sister had more, uh, I had more marks on my chart for not obeying promptly than what my sister did. And I complained bitterly to my father. This isn't fair because I, you know, I responded favorably many times. And he said, well, he said, it's simply that I'm not so much concerned about how many times you obeyed promptly. This was about times you did not do well. 
I think we'll move on uh, to point number three, how we can uh, develop acceptance and empowers by using the five love languages. And again, I'm going to refer you to a book. Gary Chapman writes about five the five love languages of humans. Um, all of us uh, operate off of one of these premises or a combination of them. Every human is predominantly one or maybe two. And I think that you can probably identify yourself, as I read across this list, which of your love languages you understand appreciation by. first one is quality time. And I remember my teacher giving me quality time in second grade. And the way she did it, one of the ways she did it that was meaningful to me is after we had recess time, if we got in from recess, got our self-restroom, got our, got our drink and everything else, well, then we could stand there and tell her stories about things that were going on in our lives that were important until the rest of the students came in and the crowd got larger and larger. And I look back with a lot of um, fond memories of her listening to things that were important in my life. She was giving me quality time. And it's one way that we can communicate acceptance. It is possible to get too busy to do this. Another one is words of affirmation. And we had been talking about that. Um, but I do remember what my eighth grade teacher commending me for playing with the younger ones. I remember that. And I felt appreciated. It empowered me to do more of that kind of good thing. Another would be gifts, giving gifts. Um, I have a sister. She's a gift giver. If you, uh, you, she, if I can know that she's trying to say, I appreciate you, I love you, when I get a gift. Um, I remember one of my teachers giving me a gift. Um, you remember some of those gifts as well. Another one is acts of service. Um, Another one of my teachers in the younger grade, she had a little jar of Vaseline that if you had any old scab or mosquito bite, it didn't matter what, she would put a little bit of Vaseline on there. And it felt so much better. It really did. And another one is physical touch. Of course, be careful with this one. This is not for teachers of older students. I remember getting some um, touches, some of them very rapid and powerful. That <laughs> communicated something about what is acceptable behavior and what isn't. Um, but then there was a time when I was in seventh grade and I, a soccer ball hit me on the side of the head and I had a, a cut from, uh, probably an internal cut from a bone, you know, pushing through the skin. And the teacher that time walked me several hundred feet holding a compressed uh, handkerchief on the side of my head. And we're considering how do we communicate and teach acceptance and empowers. Another one is by personal example. How at home are you in your own skin after all? Are you an... Uh, an over, are you in an overarching struggle for acceptance? If teachers and parents don't have this straight, well, then I think it's unlikely that their offspring and those that they're influencing will have it straight. How do you rate, how do you grade yourself regarding these verses? Let your conversation be without covetousness. Covetousness for acceptance? People covet that. Be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You know, that verse is couched in a lot of acceptance issues, isn't it? Maybe we ourselves should practice being less aware. I remember one uh, fourth or fifth grade girl writing on the beginning of the year questionnaire that sometimes teachers hand out to sort of break the ice question was, do you like visitors? And she wrote, no. And then why? Because everybody's looking at me. And this is in a room of 25 students or something like that. Do you feel looked at sitting there today? I mean, are you... oh my. 
I think if we adults get this one right, if we're at home in our own skin, well, those following us will follow behind as baby ducks follow their mother. I think that's about the way it works. Generally speaking, I think that likely a child that struggles with severe acceptance problems or issues is simply something issuing out of some other situation, maybe at home or maybe some other experience, powerful experience you've had. And what I'm suggesting here is that most of us are born psychologically balanced in a given range. And the point that we're trying to make is that if we relate to people correctly out of a heart that it's peace with itself, then we give acceptance and empowers to those under us that we're trying to influence. Well, with God's help, let's attempt to interact with our students with hearts of integrity, as was being heard this morning. And yes, we want hands with skill. In other words, we want techniques at work. But I'm simply saying that if our hearts are searching for acceptance and if our hands are grasping for recognition, well, then we're ill-equipped to get this job done to those whom we're serving. It should be our desire, as 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says, to be servants through whom ye believe. This morning, the staff meeting, it was talked about ministers through whom he had believed. I didn't know that thought occurred twice in the scriptures. I like that word construction, servants from whom ye believed. That's what we want to do for our students, for our children, for those who were attempting to influence. Believe here means, of course, come to the faith. But there is such a thing as believing in ourselves. There is such a thing as understanding acceptance issues. And I think that as we uh, demonstrate being at home ourselves, Students can learn to believe in themselves that they're okay without that steady stream of affirmation and other things, really, that life isn't going to give to them. Another one I would suggest is by distinguishing between personal attacks and constructive feedbacks. I'm going to say that again. We're talking about how we can communicate, how we can teach acceptance that empowers by distinguishing between personal attacks and constructive feedback. Closely related to that is by distinguishing between people and people's ideas. Let's first of all talk about personal attacks and constructive feedback. If you are teaching for a board that cares, and I hope you are, they will likely come to you sometime along the way and have a suggestion or something they want to see changed or improved. Now, the board didn't hire you to be a scapegoat, but some of us at that point, feel personally attacked, and we want to be a goat that runs off into the wilderness never to see these people again. All right? Well, let's distinguish between personal attacks and constructive feedback. The, te- the, the school board did not hire you to have a scapegoat, and they haven't rejected you. They might have just rejected your idea or something that you were doing that was not serving the larger goal of the school as well as it could have. There is a distinct difference between rejecting a person and rejecting their idea and a distinct difference between attacking a person and attacking something that that person did. Someone has said that criticism is the highest form of praise. It's a sign of teamwork, that's why. The French Commandos Marine, which is equivalent of the U.S. Navy SEALs, have this motto. And think about this motto in the terms of acceptance that empowers. This is what what their motto is. If I falter, push me on. 
If I stumble, pick me up. If I retreat, shoot me. Are you comfortable with that kind of commitment and acceptance of others on your team? Well, that's an empowering motto. It really, really is. Some more thoughts about people versus people's ideas. I think ideas in a group, oftentimes in school settings, we have staff meetings and we may put an idea forth when we're having a staff meeting it just doesn't fly. Well, then, are you still able to fly? Even if your idea didn't fly? I hope so. But if you and your idea are inseparable, if you are married to your ideas, what you need is a divorce. Think of, you, think of your ideas and, and ideas, everybody's ideas. This is helpful. Think of it as a handful of cards. You played Dutch splits. You played whatever it is. I'm not advocating playing card games and gambling. Of course not. But those cards aren't me. I'm simply shuffling them and putting them on the table as needed most. And if somebody trumps my card, fine. That's wonderful. I have no problem with that. But think of your ideas as cards in the hand to be shuffled, to be played in the most effective way possible. But they're not you. I think to work off these premises yourself will give a passive but yet effective guidance to those whom we wish to influence in these areas. All right, moving on, again to reiterate, we're considering how do we communicate and teach acceptance that empowers. Another one would be by standardized treatment. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time with, here, with this one here, but we have this thing, sometimes it comes up in school settings called teacher pets. Teacher pets. Do you want an example from Scripture what happens when you have teacher pets? Well, I'm not sure about teacher pets, but I can think of Papa pets. Think of Jacob, the house of Jacob and Joseph. Didn't work out so well, did it? Look what happens because of favoritism. What a dynamic story was kicked into place because of that. So in your classroom, no kid gloves for one and hippo gloves for another. I guess I'm saying that right. There are some, yes, that have a weaker constitution that they need to be guided more gently, perhaps. But be concerned about fairness. To be sure, your students are. I never regarded myself as a teacher's pet when I was in school, but some of my other fellow students did, and it made problems. It really did. I didn't see how it could be, but they saw it all over the place one year or two. Standardized treatment, I think, wins the day. No, we don't need to have scales when dishing out the ice cream. But we can wait until the next day to have ice cream sandwiches if there is a student that's missing. You see what I'm saying? Um, standardized treatment as much as possible. Another way that we communicate acceptance of powers is by following the example of the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to develop this in the context of teachers relating to students in times of re redress. Times of redress. When you need to address a student and we need to help them out and change their behavior a little bit, well, think about the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to develop this thought over a word construction that hits me between the eyes every time we sing it. I don't know if you know the song, Fill Me Now. Hover o'er me, gracious spirit, bathe my trembling heart and brow. There's two words that stand out to me. I believe it's in the fourth verse. Cleanse and comfort. Cleanse and comfort. Cleanse and comfort. Bless and save me. Bathe, bathe my heart and brow. 
Thou art comforting and saving. Thou art sweetly filling now. You see, our students, and we too, are the most vulnerable on this issue of acceptance when we need help, when we need redress. Right? Cleanse and comfort. Cleanse and comfort. I like that. Clean up, but comfort. Cleanse and comfort. I don't know. As I was thinking about this one day, um, I thought about another word, construction. Um, it's from John 13. And I'm going to have you again fill in the blanks. Another similar word, construction. It tells what Jesus did when he washed the disciples' feet. And you, like, yeah, you with me likely hear these words uh, several times a year as we practice the ordinance of feet washing. Are you ready? John 13, verse 5. After that, he poureth water into basin and began to wash and wipe them with a towel. Wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Wash and wipe. Cleanse and comfort. Now, can you imagine meeting your brother or sister at the basin and all they do is wash your feet and then no towel work? How inappropriate. I like to read again from an article. This is from the uh, 1969, um, 1969 article from the Sword and Trumpet, entitled "A Rich Experience" by Robert Baker, favorite author of mine. He's talking about feet washing. I can't, I can't read it all, though it would be uh, good to do so. To me, the act of feet washing is one of the most helpful and meaningful ordinances in the church. I believe in it. Keep it because I need it desperately. I need it. This is written in defense of feet washing. The washing of saints' feet has endeared itself to me because it symbolizes a cleansing within my own heart. Aha, uh-huh, the Holy Spirit is involved in that, isn't it? As the water is laved over my feet, I remember how Jesus washed me of my sins those many years ago. I recall how my heartache was eased, how the cleansing flood made that which was scarlet as white as snow. Feet washing to me symbolizes inner cleansing and acceptance. I wash my brother's feet to indicate my readiness to serve anyone in that church. I bend my knees, I bow my head, I cut my hands, raise the streaming water, and let it tumble gently over my brother's feet. I take the towel and with tenderness dry those feet, the top, the bottom, the front, the back. And by it I cry, let me be your servant. Let me minister to you. Call upon me when your loved ones are afflicted, when the sorrows of death touches your family, when you have need. I will come. I have always come away richer for this experience. Feet washing is a great leveler. I was elevated and humbled and thrilled and stilled the night one of the outstanding men in the Mennonite church asked if we might wash feet together. I know he did not think of the differences between us. He just saw me as a brother that he loved. And so this man of God, pastor, bishop, evangelist, writer, educator, personal worker, church leader, washed my feet. He did it graciously, lovingly. We found ourselves one, no burial between. And he goes on to say, pride is an ugly thing. Frankly, it has been a thorn in the flesh of mine. When I wash my brother's feet, my pride dissolves in the water I pour upon his feet. To wash the feet of the saints is a good reducing exercise. It puts you in your proper perspective. Now, can you overlay that? Imagine yourself in the principal's room or in one-on-one with one of your students that needs to be washed and wiped. When we have work to do with a, with a student or with others, follow the example of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus. Cleanse and comfort. Wash and wipe. And may our students and our fellow men never feel less than this. 
That's a, that's a goal for me, and I, I'm, I often don't meet that goal. I'm sure I don't. You know, when I have someone I want to, when I have something I need to tell somebody, and I don't think they're listening, well, then I really tell them, and so forth. And in so doing, probably close their heart. You know, sometimes instead of washing and wiping, when it comes to needs of our fellow men, we do other two-word constructions like scratch and sniff. What's this? Well, that's what the Levite did. There was a man that needed help. He needed washing white. He scratched around the situation, had a bad smell. He turned around and went away on the other side. Nosiness, that's what it is. Or how about take and bake or shake and bake? We do that sometimes too, don't we? These things, I believe, have a direct bearing on what kind of product we get at the end of the day in our interaction with each other. Last thing I'd like to suggest is by Galassenheit. I'm a little nervous talking in a different language. <laughs> is anyone here prepared to explain what Galassenheit is? It's a part of Anabaptist heritage. What is Galassenheit? How many heard of the word before? What does it communicate to you? Brokenness? Brotherhood, okay. Brotherhood? Sacrificing myself. Sacrificing myself. Yieldedness. Okay. Yes, that's what I um, would understand it to mean also, <coughs> at least for many years. I did a bit of a language study um, on this, not much, but I came up with these synonyms. Defenselessness, yieldedness, surrender, voluntary choice to embrace the will of God regardless of cost to self, cross-bearing. Right, that's Galassenheit. Now, okay, what I have here is I have a picture of a VW car. It's cool. All right? And above that, I have the term Galassenheit. Now, what I'm doing, I did not see this myself, but I'm told I'm doing the very same thing that VW advertisers did not so long ago, within the last two years. They pictured their latest model, their coolest model, and printed one word, Galassenheit. Now what's going on? Evidently, Galassenheit means more than what we thought it to mean. Indeed, it does. One of the long-standing meanings of Galassenheit is simply this. If you have this, you don't need anything else. I think I'll lay the picture down. What did Jesus say when he was being insulted on the cross, when he was being rejected by men? What did he say? He said, sticks and stones may hurt my bones. No, he didn't. That is one of the most foolish lines that's well known. What he said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what, to do, what they do. That's Galassenheit. If you have that, you don't need anything else. What did Jesus have when he said that? Well, he had a father in heaven. He had a father who understood. He had a heart towards his tormentors. He had a heart of forgiveness. He had a prayer for others. Here's a poem that perhaps your students should memorize. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, 
my prayer shall be for others. And the refrain of that little poem says, Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be, help me to live for others, that I might live like thee. That's Golosenheit. If you have that, you don't need anything else. Can we bring our students to this place where they understand that God can't take the place of anything? I'm sorry, that God can take the place of anything, but nothing can take the place of God. Maybe the bigger question is, is can we bring ourselves to that point regarding our social interaction? Here's the paradox of Christian living. One of the paradoxes, the more we accept others, the less we need their acceptance. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How old must children be before they can understand this? So I considered that question. I remember looking on the scene that was nearly sacred. A principal with a second and a third grade boy who had been in a fight. And they were at odds. I mean, big time. They were ready to pull hair. And he asked him this question. He said, um, I want you to think. Who was it and what did he do? that was mistreated terribly. He got nails hammered through him. And right away, the little boy started crying. If you have this, you don't need anything else, see? I had a poem here I was going to finish with, but it'll be on the table. Lord bless you. As you relate to your students, I wish you God's wisdom and Jesus' attitudes. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.